on Macquarie Radio NTS. This is What's Cooking with Nerida Conway, bringing you a tasty assortment of all things food and wine. Hi there and welcome to What's Cooking on Macquarie Radio NTS. I'm Nerida Conway and on today's show we're going to be checking in with Rosalind Grundy who's the editor of the Age Good Food Guide. Also talking to Jane Thompson from Fabulous Ladies Wine Society talking about the inaugural Women in Wine Awards which is very exciting. We've got Mel Brower aka the Prosecco Queen talking about Prosecco, one of my favourite things. Also Jack Holman from Yarra Valley Dairy talking about cheese, yum yum. And we'll be giving you answers to your Curly Cooking Questions with Chef Ian Curly. You're listening to What's Cooking, Macquarie Radio, NTS. Guess who's coming to dinner with Nerida Conway. And welcome to What's Cooking on Macquarie Radio NTS. I'm Nerida Conway. We're going to be having a little chat right now to the gorgeous Rosalind Grundy, who's not only just such a talented journalist, but also the editor of the Age Good Food Guide. How are you, Ros? Yeah, that's a big rap. Thanks, Nerida. Well, I think you're pretty amazing with what you do, with what you have to sort of cope with. Thank you. <laughs> There's just so. I think if I had your job of having to, you know, sift through all the hundreds of dining places and, you know, work out what's a winner and what's not alone on, you know, in addition to your sort of your other stuff, I'd find it very stressful. It can be stressful, um, but uh, you know. A lot of people tell me also that it's the best job in Melbourne, so there you go. Well, everyone always thinks the grass is a little greener, don't they? <laughs> they do. <laughs> so last time we had a chat to you, it was to talk about, um, you know, all of the different winners of the Age Good Food Guide, who got hats, who lost hats. It was all, you know, a very exciting time of year. And now that a little bit of the dust has settled, what's it like out there? I can't believe just how busy the dining scene is at the moment. I don't think we've ever had a time when so many new places have opened this close to Christmas. It's phenomenal. And why do you think that is? I'm really not sure because people are telling me in the industry that it's tougher than ever. That's what I'm hearing as well. uh, You know, and I, I believe them. I'm sure they're sincere. I'm sure they're not just pulling my leg. But, um, for all that, there's so many more people who want to jump on that merry-go-round and, um, you know, really top chefs who have been busting to open their own place or people who've got a successful business and see an opportunity for something else. So just a lot of um, places opening in November, December and even more weirdly January, which is Gosh. never a time that place at time, you know, people, people don't normally open in January. Normally, no, we're all at the beach. That's right. We're getting fish and chips on the beach. That's right. <laughs> so do you reckon that some of it's got to do with um, all these TV shows like The Hot Plate and things like that that sort of, I guess, in a way glamorise and make running a restaurant look sort of easier than it really is? And a lot more fun than it really yes. is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because in a real restaurant, yeah. sorry, I was just going to say in a real restaurant, you know, you don't have the team turn up and give you a makeover. <laughs> no, that's right. And and you're, you know, out on the floor having a chat with people all the time. You're not actually in the back doing the hard yard. No. So, yeah, maybe that's got something to do with it. I wonder if it's playing a part. But, you know, maybe, maybe things are a bit more buoyant. Maybe people are a bit more optimistic about the economy than, um, than we've been led to believe. 
Yeah. And look, I think, you know, eating out now, again, I'm, I'm attributing television shows and the fascination with food and, and everything in our culture, in our society now anyway. But I think probably, you know, people going out to dinner more often just creates more supply. Yes, that's right. And more and demand, I should say. Yes, and we're a bit more confused really about what we ought to be eating in some respects. You know, we're always being told this gives you cancer, that gives you cancer. Oh my goodness, what did you see in the paper yesterday about the fact that roast potatoes now give you cancer? And they were saying, don't fluff up your roast potatoes um, because that just creates more surface area and they should only be light golden if they're anything darker than that that forms a crunch. Bad, bad news. I mean, come on. Yes. We've got yes. to just live, haven't we? <laughs> That's exactly right. Without crunchy potatoes and bacon, <laughs> some of those things, you know, really, what's... Especially <laughs> together. Crunchy <laughs> potatoes and bacon together. That is just living the dream. That is it. <laughs> so, Roz, um, t- can you tell us about some of the new places that you know about that are opening up soon? Yes, I'd love to. Um, I, I try and keep a little bit of a spreadsheet now because there are so many that I can't keep them all in my head. So I, I, I um, write them down in a spreadsheet. But some of the ones I know of that are opening are um, 400 Grady, another offshoot of the very successful pizza place. He's got one, um, Johnny DeFrancesco, clever guy he's got one in brunswick that's going great guns he's got one at crown casino and he's opening another one in essendon any tick of the clock now i think sometime this week yes um and that's with um harry lillai isn't it that's right so i love harry yeah i think a lot of people will be happy to eat harry's food again they've missed him in the short time he's been out of fitzroy lovely lovely bloke they're both lovely blokes and that just kind of makes you want to go there more Indeed, yeah. Oh. So I think that'll be great, and great for Essendon. I think Essendon's one of those up-and-coming areas um, for food. It hasn't been all that well-served mm. um, until recently, so mm. I think that's going to be an area that's starting to bubble up. Um, a couple of projects that I've heard about um, where it's a chef who is really well-known for high-end food, mm-hmm. and they're opening something a bit more... Um, fun. So Biggie Smalls is Shane Delia's place in um, Collingwood that's opening up in Smith Street. He's going to be doing kind of kebabs with a bit of a fun twist. So things like uh, I think it might be pork belly kebab with Yum. Uh, peanut butter hummus that they're making oh my in goodness. house. I know. Wow. <laughs> um, so that's going to be a bit of fun and some really delicious things like um, ice cream sandwich with some sort of Turkish delight type twist, so that's going to oh. be fun. And another one is—I just think my thighs just put on about another inch just oh, thinking about that. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, It's—I think it's the more the big end rather than the small end of big yep. small. Yeah. <laughs> and another in a similar vein is Neil um, Neil Perry's project, Burger Project. Um, he's got this dream of ho- opening a series of, you know, a burger chain mm. of really good burgers, but in a fast food way. The Rockpool's been very renowned for its burger for many, many years. Mm. But this is kind of a, a much more um, accessible take on that. So he's opening a place called Burger Project in a new um, development that's going into um, Melbourne CBD. It's where Australia on Collins used to be. It's um, it's going to be called St. Collins Lane, and he's one of the people who's going into there. Gosh, 
Um, just one final very quick question. Mm. Do you think we have too many burger joints? I think we might have reached peak burger. <laughs> I mean, I personally think you can never have too many burger mm. joints, but... I know. You know, I'll just be interested to see what the next thing that comes along is. Yeah, there'll be a few more. I, I'll, uh, I just know there will be, but... But it seems surprising that that, um, there's a continuing demand for them. Mm. Oh, thank you, Ros. That's so wonderful. Rosalind Grundy, food writer and editor of the Age Good Food Guide. You're on Macquarie Radio NTS. Now it's My Shout with Nerida Conway. And you're listening to What's Cooking on Macquarie Radio, NTS with Nerida Conway. Now, I've got the beautiful Jane here with me, Jane Thompson from the Fabulous Ladies Wine Society. And I've asked Jane to come in today to talk to us a little bit about the Australian Women in Wine Awards that are coming up. How are you, Jane? Very well. Thanks, Nerida. That's good. Thank you so much for coming back in to chat to us again. Thanks for having me so soon. Oh, look. Explain to us about the Australian Women in Wine Awards. It sounds wonderful. Oh, I think it is wonderful. So the Australian Women in Wine Awards are the very first awards platform for women in the Australian wine industry. And is this your baby? Did you think of this? Well, I, I would like to say that it's all my baby, but of course it's not. You can't do these <laughs> things on your own. Um, I'm very much part of a team, a fantastic board made up of some of the most talented women in the Australian wine industry. Okay, and who, do that, who, are, who does it comprise? Who, who's sort of on the board? Sure, so we've got... Uh, Winemaker uh, Samantha Conyu and uh, winemaker Karina Wright, Tony Carlino, who I know is involved here with you on the radio, and we have uh, Jenny Port, of course, the amazing wine writer here um, in Victoria, and also Jenny Houghton, who runs Magars Hill Winery. Okay, so... Tell me about the process of this. Is it a 12-month uh, information-gathering mission or what, what happens? Well, uh, earlier this year, um, I put the call out to women who I thought if we could gather together would mm. make a pretty crack team. And amazingly, they all said yes. Right. <laughs> so, they? so that meant that we should really go ahead and do this thing. <laughs> so uh, we commenced around about, uh, I think, March or April and uh, started setting down criteria, deciding which awards we were going to launch with and pretty much creating the framework under which we wanted to operate. Awesome. So what are the criteria? Well, we decided that there would be four awards mm-hmm. in its first year. So we have a winemaker of the year, yes. a viticulturist of the year, okay. an owner-operator, somebody who's running their own business or managing a business, and also a really important one, I think, the Workplace Champion of Change, which is open Ooh. to both men and women who right. are advocates for women in the wine industry. Right. Now, what would that sort of entail? Well, I guess we're looking for people who are active in their workplaces in in terms of making them a more female-friendly place to be. Mm. So that might be creating sort of HR strategy or policy um, that helps to ensure that women are treated uh, equally and fairly in the workplace. Providing little tiny gumboots for children who have to tag along to work because they're sick. (laughs) Could do, could be. (laughs) Any and all of those sorts of suggestions. So it was very interesting to see those sorts of entries come in. I absolutely love that particular one just because, obviously, like just like you, I'm a working mum. I've got three kids same as you have and it just feels to me without fail that every Tuesday when I come in to record our show here someone is sick I know it's the antenna go up don't <laughs> they so. you know and it is it is tough because you know obviously fathers do their bit as well but somebody has
has to take care of the child if they get sick and someone has to – and it's not even have to, it's want to. I mean, I know that with me, I, I feel very lucky because my job is quite flexible and I can, you know, I can go to the Mother's Day stall and help out and I can schedule my – largely schedule my program around those sorts of things because I don't want to miss out as a parent. Mm. But I also love what I do for a living. So it is hard for females, I think, who have children or have a family and who work in what's been traditionally a, a male-dominated industry. Yeah, look, very much so. And even women without children, and there's plenty of those mm. around, uh, are still very much um, having to work a lot harder in order to receive equal and fair treatment. And so even down to things like um, the language that's used to describe different traits within women in the workplace, um, mm. whereas a man might be seen as a good leader, women often are referred to as bossy, mm. um, where men might be together sort of collectively deciding something amongst themselves in a networking situation. That woman isn't able to be there because she has other commitments, say mm. family-wise, as you were describing earlier. Mm. So whether or not even you have children, I think that... Um you know, if you are in a male-dominated culture like the wine industry, mm. there's lots of catch-up that still needs to be done. Mm, mm, mm. Yes, absolutely. And so have, are you excited by the response that you've had from different people wanting to win one of these awards? Absolutely. So the um, the response has been, I think, beyond our expectations. So we've not only had fantastic entries come in for each of the awards, but also the uh, support from within the industry has really blown our minds. So very, very exciting. Okay, now, you can tell us, dumb drum roll, the winners. Yes, I can. So <laughs> the winners announced, and we, I tell you what, before I tell you who the winners are, yeah. um, what was really exciting is the way we announced the winners. Ooh. So rather than have a gala night, yes. which is um, difficult often for women to get to. Yes, uh, especially if they're all over Australia. Correct. Mm. And the wine industry is a very regional industry. Mm. We decided very early on to, in fact, broadcast live the results at a particular time and date. Oh, and then encourage, exciting. yeah, and then encourage people throughout the wine industries to host their own celebration event, which Love happened. It. So we had fantastic celebration events happening all over the country, where people tuned in to find out the winners. Oh, so who were they? Who were they? Okay, so <laughs> the winner of the winemaker of the year was mm -hmm. Rose Kentish, right, uh, from McLaren Vale, Ulithorn Wines. Uh, the winner of the viticulturist of the year was Irina Santiago Brown. Also from McLaren Vale, okay. so very exciting. A bit of a hot spot there in McLaren yes. Vale this year. I love McLaren Vale ones, <laughs> I've got to say. Yeah. Uh, the winner of the Owner Operator of the Year was Rebecca Duffy from down in Tasmania, Home Ooh. Oak Vineyards. And the Workplace Champion of Change is Diane Lawrence from Lawrence Wines over in Margaret River in WA. So a beautiful oh, spread in yes. the end there of women throughout the country. Oh, that's exciting. And if people want to get some more information about this event, just so that they can, you know, yes. look up the winners and find out more about them. Absolutely. So the women, uh, it's womeninwineawards.com.au and mm -hmm. there you'll find the list of all the winners and also all the finalists who were amazingly worthy contenders. Oh, that's so, so exciting. And did you get a prize just for putting it all together? Well, wouldn't that have been nice? But <laughs> I might, I might have to give you a prize. <laughs> My prize. <A> <laughs> My prize has been seeing this uh, the success of the of the awards in their very first year. Oh, I love mm. it. Now that this is all over, and we are coming into the festive season, and I know you've just been overseas on a big trip to, you know, France and everywhere. <laughs> I've been seeing all your photos everywhere on Facebook and everything. Yes. It has made me a little bit green with envy, I've got to say. <laughs> 
<laughs> What's coming up on the horizon for you now that this is done and dusted? Uh, well, we're ending the year with a couple more events with the Fabulous Ladies Wine Society. Whereabouts so, are they? Uh, in Sydney, there's two events happening, uh, one on Saturday the 28th of November, okay. and then our final event of the year is a champagne, we call them Mistress Classes, because Ooh. you know it's an all-women champagne class, yes. and that's also happening in Sydney on Tuesday the 1st of December. Can't so it be Melbourne? Come we, on, Jane. <laughs> we did one in Melbourne earlier in the year, so well, Sydney's turn now, and we'll be back in Melbourne again next year for good. another one. Good. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, I do, I do get to Sydney quite a bit, but Great. you know, Melbourne would be good. <laughs> Absolutely. And just very, very quickly, because we do have to go, but what's your favourite glass of champagne? My favourite, I have to say, I'm always a Bollinger girl. So, yeah. I had 15-year-old Bollinger the other day, and I can't remember the name of it. I wish I could. Not like Grand Arnie. Yes. There you go. That's why it's my (laughs) favourite. Is that your? That yeah. is literally the most extraordinary champagne I've ever tasted. I yeah. could have cried. Yeah, I think it was the- nearly a spiritual moment for me. <laughs> That's marvelous. That's how it should be. That's I how champagne it. should be. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I just I kept on thinking to myself, you know, this can't be, you know, because there is a, obviously a hefty price component for some of these things. And I was thinking, I don't know, you just drink it. It's like me buying orange juice for my children. I keep on saying, I'm not buying orange juice anymore because you just keep drinking it. <laughs> And then I realise I'm sounding like my mother. <laughs> but it's so, uh, honestly, just if you just take your time and it's, and it's special and you're not just sort of swigging it and throwing it down, it was worth every single sip. I can oh, see I the spiritual it. halo appearing <laughs> as you talk. I can see it. So is that your favourite one as well? well uh, look, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, depending on the vintage, so Le Grand Arnais has a different vintage depending on what's out, but the current this one. This was extraordinary Yeah, vintage, 2004, I'm imagining it might have been. I have no idea, but it's just I'm just going to call it the extraordinary one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. It's a spiritual <laughs> moment for all. <laughs> okay, and so if you had to pick an Australian sparkling? Well, Australian sparkling, I probably can't go past um, Aras from Tasmania. Ooh. I think Ed Carr is, you know, they call him the physicist right. uh, for good reason. <laughs> I haven't tried that one. Oh, look, it's fantastic. So okay. any, anything by um, Aras is, is, is a fairly good, uh, you're in a fairly good drop there in your glass. That's fair. How do you spell that? A-R-R-A-S. Okay, all right. I'm going to give that a whirl. Okay. And and if anybody wants to get in touch with you again and finding out more about your events and things that you have during the year, absolutely. give you us can, your website one yeah, more time. So fabulousladieswinesociety.com and for the Women in Wine Awards, it's womeninwineawards.com.au. Great. Thank you, Jane Thompson, so much for joining us. Tasty. The latest local produce for you to enjoy. And welcome back to What's Cooking on Macquarie Radio NTS. I'm Nerida Conway, and I've got sitting beside me in the studio here, Jack Holman, who's the head cheesemaker at Yarra Valley Dairy. How are you, Jack? Very good, thank you. Now, Jack, I've got a doozy of a question first up for you. How do you make cheese? Well, you've got to start with some... I'm sure it's dead easy. (laughs) There's a little bit, there's a few tricks to it, but you want to start with some really good milk. So, you know, it's all about what your animals are eating. So, you know, if you're... a cow in the Yarra Valley, you're, you know, it's a happy place to live. So yes. So do you honestly think that the, what what the cow takes in and eats um, turns it literally affects the flavour of the milk? Literally affects the cheese. Yeah, very much so. Gosh, who knew that? Not me. That's fascinating. And what's the favourite? What's your sort of favourite fed cow? Would it be grass? Would it be well when the grain? Because they're steering away from grain now, aren't they? When the cows get to eat some flowers, it kind of you know it sounds romantic. <laughs> so you kind of feel like that's going to add something to the cheese. Yes. And does it? Definitely. Definitely. Oh, wow. So, like, you might have a rosy flavoured. Oh, I, I think it's just, it's just um, 
diversity, you know, in the flavours that's coming through in the milk as opposed to just eating grass at certain times of the that's year. That's fascinating. Well, what I've learned is you need to kind of respect each cheese for what it is. So the way I'll make, you know, one style of cheese is going to be very different to the way I make another cheese. So after uh, trial and error, yes. yeah, you get to um, get good at making each style of cheese for what it is. Now, the Yarra Valley is one of my favourite areas in Australia, no doubt. And the produce that's coming from there, not just cheese, but obviously wines, duh, but, you know, the produce that's coming from there is so extraordinarily good, world world class. And I just can't believe how lucky we are. And you are now, you've sort of gone from a little boutique, I guess a little boutique cheese uh, fromagerie to stocking products so that everyone can enjoy them around Australia, isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it all started with Persian feta. So we're still making a lot of that. And that kind of passion has then kind of, you know, um, moved us into creating some new cheeses. So we can Mm. then create new stuff that no one else is doing, even though we still, you know, get to play with Persian feta every day. Well, that Persian feta is probably one of the yummiest cheeses I've ever had. And um, that's the reason why I wanted to get you on the show, because... um, you know, I, I tried some and just thought, I, I'm trying to understand how you make it and how you get it quite so beautiful and creamy, melt in your mouth. Um, and what's special about Persian feta? I mean, I put it in everything. I put it in salads. I put it sort of on toast with avocado. I, I just, you know, if there's, a, if there's an opening for anything, on it goes. <laughs> well, one of the cool things about being a cheesemaker in Australia is that we're drawing on this inspiration and knowledge from all around the world. Yes. So, it's you know, Persian feta is not a traditional kind of feta technique. It's um, it's more of a you know a soft style lactic yes. feta. So that's what we you know, get that kind of luscious texture, and then. We marinate it in oil, so we were the first cheese company in Australia to do that style of cheese, and now it's kind of become an iconic Australian style of cheese, a marinated feathers. Stunning. Now, I'm not going to try and steal your recipes and share it with our listeners so we can all just become, you know, Jack Holman, the head cheese maker at Yarra Valley <laughs> Dairy. But in a nutshell, what is the process for producing this gloriousness, Persian feta? So... It's what we call a lactic cheese. So, you know, cheese making is about fermentation. So we're letting the fermentation go for as long as it can. Mm-hmm. So the microbes that we add are eating the sugar, the lactose, mm-hmm. and then they're producing that acid, lactic acid. Mm-hmm. So we'll let that go and then we'll um, get that cheese and put it into brine. So that's the feta um, step. Okay. And then after it's been in the brine for a couple of weeks, we'll then marinate it with the Persian feta herbs. Now, I'm going to say something a little bit personal. You're lovely and lean. You're not sort of a big fatty boomba, <laughs> as I think I would be if I did your job. How is that? How is that possible? Do you not taste the cheese every day? I do taste the cheese every day. Um, I love cheese. I love food, <laughs> but um, I've always been very active. So well, kind clearly, of, uh, you're in good shape, my friend. Thank you. Get, um, yeah, get out and about, but. Um, I guess, you know, quality cheese is about having having it all the time, but not not a lot of it. So, you, you know, you're always eating good the cheese. The French method. Yeah, so. Yeah, it's a little bit, little bit here and there, not sort of stuffing it into your sweat. Well, you can have it every day, <laughs> um, but you don't need to um, eat a lot of it. Yes. Okay. Now, I'm excited because one of the joys of this show is I get to try and taste things and um, tell everyone what I think. So you've brought a little selection of cheese in here today for me to try. I have. Gosh, I hate my job sometimes. It's awful. <laughs> um, wh- what am I doing first? Well, we've been talking about Persian feta, so let's start with that one. Okay. Right. So this is, you know, everyone has probably seen Persian feta. It's beautiful, creamy, 
very white, fluffy, looks like a little cloud. Mm. And it's so delicious and very, very, very creamy. Yeah, you get it that just... really uh, great texture. So it's mm. so versatile to. Um, and the most know. wonderful flavour. Yeah, Do you have different flavours? Kind of get the, uh, the fresh oil? thyme coming through and the garlic, and there's bay leaves and mm. pepper as well. I know. Well, that's actually an interesting thought because when you are storing this in your fridge and you sort of fish it out and use it, um, do you have to keep the oil topped up to it or can you use the oil for other things? Yeah, the oil is great to use in other dishes. You can put it in salads or mm. pasta. Because it's don't got that use beautiful it, infused flavour. Yeah, exactly. If you don't use it all in one go, when you mm. put it back in the fridge, you just make sure that the oil is covering the cheese. Okay. So you could even you know, put some you can top it up olive with, oil in there. Great. That's good to know. Okay, what's next? So we've been talking about you know doing you know different things. So this cheese here, it's a it's so pretty a fresh geo lactic cow's milk cheese with marigolds. Mm. So I get to do some great work with um, some chefs. So Matt Stone and Joe Barrett, we've created this cheese with marigolds that they're going to use at their restaurant. It's beautiful. It looks like a little beautiful firm disc of white cheese with literally little flower petals through it. It's stunning. And is this this is all available from your dairy, obviously. Uh, so this one is just going to be a cheese that we're doing in collaboration with um, Matt mm. and Joe at Oak Ridge Winery. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And uh, Matt and Joe are doing some amazing things at Oak Ridge. Now, this is where my mouth gets glued together with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is a really, really lovely. It's a little bit firmer than the Persian feta. Um, it, it's almost a little bit like a really creamy camembert sort of. And you can get that, you know, that slight marigold flavour that's can. coming through. The trick when you're putting other flavours into the cheese, you want it to balance. You don't want it to yes. dominate the cheese. Yep. Love that one. I'll give that a 10 out of 10, actually. All right, we've got to keep it moving because I, I could sit here all day eating cheese, but unfortunately. <laughs> all right, so talking about um, working with other people, we've got another one here that's uh, Four Pillars Distillery. Oh, so yes, we've the taken gin. their used botanicals and then washed the cheese as part of the cheese making technique. Wow, that's so, amazing. And this is a hard cheese and it's got a greyish white um, rind. rind to it. Mmm. Mmm. Yep, that's really, really delicious as well, but it's quite a mild, slightly milder. Yeah, and you can get some of the juniper coming through. Mm. Once again, it's kind of balancing with the cheese. Do you know what? This, it might just be because you said this earlier, but I think a good G&T would go beautifully with that. Well, you should give it a go. I think it's I'm going uh, to. <laughs> worthwhile. <laughs> if I must. Okay. All right, we've got right. two left. So we've mm-hmm. got um, the white savarine, which is one of our mainstays, White mould goat cheeses, so it's a mm. semi-matured white mould goat's milk cheese. Okay. Now, as my listeners know, goat cheese, a little bit like licking a goat to me. I'm never a fan. Well, hopefully this will uh, change <laughs> your opinion. Oh, my goodness. It's not licking goat at all. No, so, you know, talking before about the milk, mm. you've got to be really careful with your milk. So, you know, keeping that nice fresh milk and then um, knowing how to handle it. Okay, very, very lucky last because we're being wrapped up here and it's Oh, I saved my favourite to the last, which is called Bullseye. So it's a 12-month-old hard cow's milk cooked curd cheese. Wow. Okay. And it crumbles in your mouth and it's soft and creamy as well once it does crumble. And that would be beautiful with some um, some gorgeous, um, what are they called, the berry things, the dried muscatels. Just oh, lost my words. That's not good. Oh, that's so beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Jack Holman, for coming in. Um, head to the to the Yarra Valley Dairy if you haven't been there before. I'm sure you can say hello to Jack. He's such a lovely person and very, very talented. Thanks for joining us on What's Cooking. Thanks very much for having me.
Now, it's My Shout with Nerida Conway. And you're listening to What's Cooking on Macquarie Radio NTS. I'm Nerida Conway and I've got this really gorgeous, bubbly, pardon the pun, champagne Prosecco Queen. Not champagne, Prosecco Queen. Hello. How are you, Mel? I love that the start of the show starts with a pop of a cork and some alcohol pouring into a glass. I just feel like I'm in my happy place already. It's my favourite sound. Yeah, me too. That... I can't do it because I've got lip gloss on. I know. That (laughs) favourite sound. That one. Yes. And then there's always followed by a woo from all the girls in the room. Have you noticed that? Yes. (laughs) I had an event recently where I was pouring Prosecco and every single time I popped another bottle, there was a cheer. And so we were just racking up the cheers. (laughs) Now, I... Okay, so I've got so many questions, I don't even know where to begin. But the first thing I need to tell our listeners is that Mel has come in... And to talk about to talk to us about prosecco because I want to understand more about it. And she has given me, I kid you not, a bottle that looks like it's been dipped in solid gold ingot. It's pretty nice. It's metallic, beautiful gold, and it's just the whole thing solid gold, and it's called Bottega Gold. Yes, it is the best bottle of champagne looking. Oh, I keep saying champagne. It's not champagne, is it? Prosecco. They're very different, aren't they? They are very different. Okay. I'll stop saying that because that's the trap people fall into. Yes. But this is the best bottle of Prosecco I've ever seen. I don't even care what it tastes like. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's um, <laughs> it's high impact, which I like. It does look very luxurious, which is It has is festive lovely. season and it has princesses like us mm. written all over it. Mm. It's very fancy. So, okay, tell me what is the difference between Prosecco and Champagne, please? Okay, well, the first thing is they are made from completely different grapes. Okay. So the Prosecco is made from the Prosecco grape. Mm-hmm. In Italy, that's called Galera. Right. So it's a white grape. The the champagne from France is made with a combination of a few grapes. Mm-hmm. There's Petit Meunier and Chardonnay grapes typically will make up champagne. They can vary that a little bit, but completely different grapes with different flavour profiles. Uh-huh. The Prosecco is aged, uh, fermented in steel tanks, whereas champagne takes uh, quite a lot longer and they do a secondary ferment in the bottle. Right. It's a longer process and it is more uh, labour intensive. Hence the price difference. Exactly. Right. And with Prosecco you don't need to ferment it for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's ready quite quickly so you can literally uh, harvest the grapes, bottle them, ferment them and serve quite quickly so awesome. you can get right into it which is nice and it's yeah, it's, it's just quicker and easier to make, I guess, in that respect. The harvesting is slightly different. They have to pick everything by hand in Italy because the um, hills are very steep and mm-hmm. they can't get machinery in there. To oh. the, so the really good Prosecco up the top of the tippy top of the special hill mm. in the Valdo Biadene Conegliano oh, is hot. the, that little, the hot. little towns. <laughs> it sounds very nice, doesn't it, when you say that? Yes. <laughs> um, so they have to pick them all by hand. So they are on the higher end of the scale and much more expensive um, because they are harder to produce in mm. that in in that respect, uh, here in Australia, we don't have that problem because our Prosecco is on a slightly different terrain. So clearly, in Australia, we now make Prosecco. Yep. Doesn't um, have to come from Italy any longer. No. Um, they do taste entirely different, even though they are made by, you would say, the same grape, but they're, you know, two hemisphere away from mm. each other. Um, the Prosecco in Victoria, is that's where it sort of began. Ten years ago, the Del Zotto family, they're mm-hmm. the first Prosecco in Australia. They started producing Prosecco mm-hmm. ten years ago. Otto Del Zotto himself is from Valdobbiadne, so he knows what he's doing. Um, I love Del Zotto wines, by the way. 
They're very nice. Mm. Um, so he started doing that, and then the rest of the wineries in the King Valley that were already predominantly mm. Italian families uh, sort of followed suit mm. when they thought, well, now wow, this is actually working quite well. It's a really good um, – the, it's a high-altitude, cool in, in winter and hot in summer, and that's the perfect conditions for that And the Yarra Valley does some too. Well, the Yarra Valley itself doesn't do them. De Bortoli from the Yarra Valley have a vineyard in the King Valley, which is oh, where they're now producing theirs. That's why I was confused. If they tried to make it in the Yarra Valley, I don't think it would be as successful, okay. which is probably why they've stuck with the King Valley, because that is just the right climate. Okay. Um, and altitude as well has something to do with it. So, mm. And you're right. King Valley can get ridiculously hot. It can, and then they can have snow on the vines in winter. Yes, it's extreme. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's my second home. Well, I'm a bit scarred because I went there once and for some work and to do some filming there and it was so Oh, you had a very hot nasty hot, day. Yes. Nasty. It was 47 degrees oh. and there was blow flies that nearly carried me away and I had such a tantrum and meltdown I had to lie in the, in the creek. I understand. In my I clothes. think what the problem was there there wasn't enough prosecco. <laughs> Well, definitely there was a shortage of that, for sure. <laughs> uh, so tell me about um, this gold bottle here. Uh, okay, so um, it's called Bottega Gold, mm-hmm. and it is from the Veneto region. So it is produced where the, in the sort of home of Prosecco mm. in northeast Italy. Um, and this particular bottle, it's not very readily available. Um, the guys that are bringing it into Australia are actually based in South Australia. They're okay. called Festive Food and Wine, okay. which I love that. And, yeah, so that's uh, it's my special occasion go-to Prosecco. That's if I amazing. want to take someone a bottle of something, I tend to not buy French champagne because this one for me is so, so beautiful and such. It's such a conversation point. It is. And yeah. if you bring it out and start filling people's glasses, everyone's like, what is that gold <laughs> bottle? And you're like, yeah. Can people source it online if they um, want it, our listeners? Well, I'm hoping to stock it in my store for Christmas. Um, well, they can't get yours. <laughs> no. Um, so you can... Like you'll have all the ones you import for yourself. I'm, I'm tipping you won't part with any of them. Uh, no, I'm just personal <laughs> consumption, really. I've got a liquor license just so I can buy my own wholesale wine. Um, no, my plan is to have some that available on my online store to sell for Christmas. Fantastic. Um, and what's that address going to be, tell our listeners? It's www.theproseccoqueen.com.au. Fantastic. So pretty easy to remember. That's but, great. Um, at the moment, there's a few specialty sort of grocers that stock this particular one. I just get... It, thankfully for me, it's at yeah, my local. Yeah. Now, also tell me how much you could expect to pay for a bottle of Prosecco that's nice Prosecco, because I guess like anything, you get your dodgy ones and your nice ones mm. um, from you know your your local liquor shop. So for me, if you're going to if you want to spend between fifteen and twenty dollars, mm-hmm. stick with the Australian stock Great. from the King Valley because it represents really good value for money. Okay. They're beautiful, really easy to drink. Some of them are just made to go in an Aperol spritz. Oh, yeah. That's my favourite drink. Yeah, I'm slightly addicted. Me too. Um, And then, so you don't really need to spend more than that for an Australian one, and Mm -hmm. they are beautiful for that price range. Could you just give us some some examples of some good ones? Yeah, so the Del Zotto, obviously. Mm -hmm. The Crismont La Zona is a beautiful example of Prosecco. Then, as you said, De Bortoli's just started doing uh, Prosecco, which is from the King Valley. Mm. Uh, Brown Brothers has been doing it for years as well. That's that's a really solid one Mm. as well. Um, I love that one, actually. Yeah. So they're all, and, you know, the Brown Brothers one, we, we actually take that one camping and make spritzes at yes. the campsite. You know, it's just easy. Um, trying to think of who else. Sam Miranda is another really good example from the King Valley. Okay. Um, and, and then you'd go some Italian, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Break it up. Yeah. 
Okay. So when is it appropriate? This might sound like a stupid question. When is it appropriate to drink Prosecco? If you're having a dinner for Christmas or for festive season, when do you crack it out? Um, well, I would probably start drinking at 11 o'clock on Christmas morning. <laughs> um, and I'm not alone. If you ask any uh, self-respecting Italian, I'll tell you the same thing. <laughs> I love um, it. It is actually slightly lower in alcohol yes. than champagne. So you can actually drink it um, earlier in the day and not sort of fall off your chair at lunchtime. It is... The beauty of Prosecco is that it actually goes with every part of the meal. Mm. Um, So you can actually have it as an aperitif. You can have it in a spritz. You can have it with cheese. Mm. You can have it with certain pastas. You can even have it with um, sort of spicy foods with chili in it. So Thai food it actually works really beautifully with. And then with certain uh, Proseccos that have a little bit more sweetness, you can have dessert. Oh, fantastic. Mm. An all-rounder, I like to call that. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, this is the thing. I think if you go and invest in some... Um, Prosecco that you like because I think some are sweet some are not quite Mm. so sweet just like champagnes and wines you find the ones that you like and I guess it's sort of affordable to stock up and just make sure you've always got a bottle on hand because it is a great thing to take to a dinner Mm. or to a function yeah well thank you so much Mel it's been awesome having you in the ProseccoQueen.com.au thank you Um, if you would like to find out more about Prosecco I'm sure that Mel will be happy to take your calls absolutely your emails I should say yeah thank you for joining us on What's Cooking pleasure Curly Questions with Nerida Conway and Chef Ian Curley. And you're listening to What's Cooking on Macquarie Radio NTS. How are you, Ian? I'm very well, Nerida. Yourself? It's good. I'm, I'm excellent yeah. this week. I'm, you know, feeling raring to go and had a good week. How about you? I had an excellent week, actually. That's good. Opening up the new place, so we're ready to go. It is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. If you haven't been to Kirk's Wine Bar and the French Saloon, you need to get there. It's awesome. It's good. Tourists, welcome. Uh, we, we welcome anybody. Yeah, you uh, do anybody, welcome anybody. anybody at all. Just so tell us what the food's like at the French Saloon. It's excellent. Well, you know? there's no no doubting that. Well, no, that's good. <laughs> it's very good. It's a confident bistro, we call it. So we're, we're happy doing what we do. We don't want to be... Tell us three dishes that you've got on your menu at the moment. Uh, we've got Chateaubriand down. We also do What's a hot mean? and cold. It's uh, the head of the eye fillets. So it's uh, named after the great general Chateaubriand, who was a French general. There you go. And he was so important that you had to have two eye fillets stuck together. <laughs> And uh, so we've got a. We've also got a hot and cold oyster dish that we do, Ooh. and also we're going to have a big thing on caviar. Which caviar is going to be our thing next year. Well, I'm very lucky because I got to have some of your Dubai-based caviar. Yes. yes. And now, is this true? Because this is what we did, or we just being filmed for candid camera, because we yeah. were told to put a scoop of it yeah. on our between our thumb and our index finger. Yeah, yeah, like like you do with tequila. On your skin yeah. and let it get to blood temperature. Yeah, then lick it. And then lick it. Yeah. It was yes. so good. And then, and then you have a... I was uh, licking my hand all night like a crazy person. Yeah, and then you have a glass of champagne with it. Beautiful. Well, frankly, that was just living the dream for me. Well, that's, the way to, that's the proper way to eat, I think. <laughs> I could live on that and oysters, really. Uh, yes, I'm, we, we've got a huge... Uh, we, we're going to make a big... We've actually got a little raw bug thing going on there. Oh, so, beautiful. So we'll have lots of raw the stuff there, going back to proper... The, well, way, the way to serve shellfish properly. Well, we could talk about oysters all day yes. and seafood, but mm-hmm. we have some questions to answer right. from our listeners. Right. Now, I also just need to tell you that um, today some of the people who are, whose questions we are reading out, we will contact you to let you know who you are, are going to win a t- two tickets worth $129 each ticket to Danny Pasta and Prosecco Queen in Melbourne, this is. So if you're interstate, well... 
Sorry about that. He's good, that Danny. I've he's good, that Danny. Been to those, some of those classes. That's and he's right. Very entertaining. Yep, and so is Prosecco Queen Mel. She's yeah. awesome. Mel's good. Thursday, the tenth of December. 6.30, five courses, matching Prosecco, Aperol Spritz, Canapes to start, Enetica Selena. Oh, big, big Italian So night. stunning, yes. Yeah, yeah. Featuring King Valley and Italian Prosecco. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to draw the winner of that and let you know who you are. We've also got some cheese to give away too Perfect. from the Yarra Valley Dairy. So um, it's going to be... another great place as well. Yes, that's right. So it's going to be a um, $250 hamper of cheese. Fantastic. Perfect coming up to you, the festive you need season. You need that for Christmas. Oh, yeah, lucky ducks. Okay, so the first question is... Right. Uh, my mum just gave me a big bag of fresh lemons from her tree. I don't want to waste them. What can I do with them all before they go off? That's Jane from Adelaide. Well, what you can do is also obviously make lemonade, which is great oh. if you've got kids as well. So, And there's also the difference between proper lemonade... How do you make a lemonade? Uh, soda water and lemon, squeeze it through, yep. and you can sweeten it up with a touch of sugar, yeah, or however much you like. But Gorgeous. also that's it, and a bit of soda water, and it's and the kids actually love fresh lemonade. Oh, that's beautiful! And it doesn't sound too sure. It's not too sugary and bad for their okay. health either. You know? Okay, um, I keep getting infested with pantry moths. <laughs> Sorry to laugh, but we just had an incident here in the yeah. studio where the producer just lunged for your phone, mm. which was between your legs. My goodness. That was an awkward moment. Yeah. Glad our viewers can't see that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, back to our question. I keep getting infested with pantry moths in my kitchen. How do I get rid of them? They are a pain. I'm yeah. with – this is Hannah in New South Wales. I'm with Hannah. I I've hate got them. it as well. Yeah, it's, they actually come up from underneath. So How do they get in? Uh, that what happens is they – it's probably had renovations done recently or there's some sort of water around somewhere, whatever. Well, I heard We've they come the in with thing. the rice and stuff. Like the eggs come in, do Possibly. they? With um, the food? No, what normally happens, and I know a lot of people find this hard to believe, but cardboard boxes, yeah. they actually hold, hide parasites. Yes. Oh, so we always imagine. rip cardboard boxes. Whenever they come into a pro kitchen, professional mm. kitchen, you take the, everything out of the cardboard box and, and discard it or put it out of the back. Oh. Obviously crush it because it's, you know. Have you ever had pantry moths in an industrial kitchen? No. No. no, but you do get like fruit they flies dare. and stuff like that. Well, you they know, wouldn't dare also, come into your kitchen. But also in an industrial kitchen, you've always got to like go and get sprayed. Every, and you're cleaning every... more than you would Absolutely. at home. Yeah. yeah, and also you don't leave cardboard boxes sitting around. And that's an interesting thing because I've got them as well at the moment. Yeah. Very annoying. And they come – I found one of them infested. I was trying to find the source the other day and I yeah. found them in the big mm-hmm. wheat bix box that yeah, I've yeah. got. yeah. The only thing you can do is actually throw them all away. Just decant everything. Throw it, that's it, and then get by the new, those, like, they're not Tupperware, but they're uh, these funny little sealable jars that look great. Yeah, 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 or Tupperware for that matter. Well, oh yeah, and that's it, and, but they look fantastic, yes. and they seal, they lock seal, whatever it is, and they're amazing. Yeah. But uh, you, you wish you'd invented it. But also throw <laughs> throw everything out, because once they're in there. Oh my goodness. And, and that's it, and then. Um, they're horrible, then and they've got you, the little maggots that crawl around yeah, everywhere, great. You've got to spray it, you've got yeah. to spray them, and then you start all over again. It's oh, got to be scrubbed. Sorry yeah. about that, Hannah. You've got a big weekend of Get the cleaning coming the up. Scrubbing, Hannah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is from Judy in Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, my mushrooms always go slimy in the fridge. How can I stop this happening? I bet you any money she's covering it over with glad wrap. You don't glad wrap Or keeping mushrooms. them in the plastic bag. Yeah, don't do that. You can, is that why they come in a paper bag? Yeah, is always. Like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's common sense. Okay. But uh, don't wrap them, because what happens is that they actually exude a, like, like a gas, right. and they sweat in their own gas if they're in glad wrap. You're describing so, my husband at the moment. Oh, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's been well said. 
<laughs> you know, but we're well documented. Right, okay. Right? If so they do go a bit slimy, can you still use them? Do you yeah, have to we'll, peel them we'll, or we'll something? Sl- yeah, well, you peel them, but also the best thing is just chop them up and use them in an omelette. Okay. That's the best way to do it. All right. Yeah. There you go, Judy. How long can you store mushrooms in your fridge before they go a bit dry and horrible? Well, they're going to dry out anyway, but also keep it. You can actually buy mushroom bags and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's like anything. Just turn your food over. Don't buy so much. and Don't leave it in there thinking that you're going to get to it. No. Well, I feel like the bottom two veggie drawers of my fridge are just filled with good intentions. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> the amount of times I end up going, mm, I Best don't really know why it, I bought. Turn it all into a soup. Yes. Mm. Okay, I'm, I've got you on speed dial as it is, which is annoying for you, but no. I think I'm going to just have to ring you more often. Turn it into a soup. <laughs> that's Get, a good idea. That's the best thing ever. Soup, you know. You're an ideas man. Well, you know. <laughs> All right, got time for another couple of questions. What should I use to clean my barbecue? It's really greasy, looks disgusting. This is from Abdul in Melbourne. Barbecue, they're a good one. So mm. what you do is once it's all getting cleaned down, what you do is you scrape it with those scrapers that come with it, mm. you know. And really, the only thing you can do is once you've like got rid of all the gunk, there are barbecue cleaner things, but you've got to make sure you clean that off as well. Yes. And what we used to do, and it doesn't go down very well unless you're very, very sneaky, is take the grills off and put them through the, gl- the dishwasher. Oh, that's a good once idea. Once they come off. Once Even you, if they're cast iron? Yeah, the cast, this is the thing. Because what and about Once the- it comes off, then you get that crappy vegetable oil and you just... Rub your barbecue oil like you're massaging uh, it, okay, and then it doesn't go rusty. Oh, so the thing with it is, put it through the, the dishwasher. You don't have to put those the chemicals and all yep. that sort of stuff yep. in it, but rub it, and then you, and then it keeps it sort of oiled. And then when you want to use it, you just re-oil it because oh, it's, I love you know, that idea. So yeah, but you go at it with um, you know, all that other fancy stuff. It's going to be expensive. You've okay. got a, you've got a dishwasher there that's probably not being used anyway. And the dishwasher is more effective than me. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> All right, lucky last question. Okay. Um, a recipe I'm, call- I'm using calls for strained tomatoes using a muslin cloth. I yeah. don't have any handy muslin, that is, I think she means. Yeah. What could I use instead? This is from Tanya from Brisbane. Essentially, you can use old tights. Old which, tights? Which is the old the old way you, they used to do things, but anything that fine. Or you know the Chuck's cloth? Oh, that's, that's gold. Yeah, yeah. But old tights, they used to do it from strained soups and stuff okay. like that rather than throwing it away. Old tights. I see once they've been washed. Oh, obviously. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Some people like would say no, but you know what? No, I, I'm of the wash variety. But anyway, but you can put them into a, in the strainer, okay. put them that, and, it, and they're, they're the, actually the finest things ever. Oh, so that's really a good, good idea, and they're cheap. You can buy them, chuck yeah. them in the bin afterwards, yeah. or great wash for, them. And great for cleaning shoes edges. also as well. Are they? Yeah, yeah. They've got a special enzyme in them because well, they're stretchy. Great for cleaning shoes. You are the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, you know. I try. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a wonderful week. I would look forward to seeing you next week. I'll look forward to seeing you too. All right, love.